If I'm going to post this on Facebook, I need to answer the question for myself. What do I want people to think of when they hear my name? And the first thing that hit me was, well, my ego generally wants one thing, but my, my true heart wants something different. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we ask a big question. What do you want people to think of when they hear your name? The question came from show 607 with Lisa Grimes. That was my guest. And in the section where we were discussing creating your personal brand, that's a question that they pose. I was just so enamored with the question. I decided to use it for the weekly Facebook question. And I asked Lisa to come back and talk through the comments with me. But I did take the question a little further and I split it into a two-part question because I thought, well, hey, I need to answer it myself first. And when I did, I thought, gosh, there's really two sides of this to me. One, how does my base ego want people to think of me? And two, how does my more mature, altruistic, I'll say righteous self or my heart want people to think of me? So I actually did a little video and put that on Facebook uh, to post the question. And I gave my own answer real quick. Over 600 people listened to the thing and we got so many or watched the video and we got so many interesting comments that took us down just truly some amazing roads, including some of the unique challenges that men and women face individually regarding how they are perceived or how they want to be perceived. And it's a powerful exercise. So we really challenged everyone to do that. So you're not going to want to miss our discussion and all the comments that were submitted. Uh, As always, you can join these weekly discussions and submit your own comments and feedback by finding and friending me on Facebook at Agent K Miller, as in Kevin. It's just my personal page, uh, and I I like to stay personal with everybody as much as we can. Uh, But I'd be delighted to connect with you there and get your perspective to these weekly questions. So I'm going to dive in with Lisa and these comments that we got after I share some great resources with you. Okay, friends, here then Lisa Grimes and I talk through all the Facebook comments to the question, what do you want people to think of when they hear your name? Okay, Lisa, well, thanks for coming back. And from our first show together, uh, show 607, you and talking about the book, remember who you are, the, the, the question came up or the, you know, as part of the exercise to do is to think about what do you want people to think of when they hear your name? Obviously for folks, if you listen to that show, I was a little enamored with that question. I loved it. I thought, man, that's the kind of question I want feedback on. So I posted it on feedback on, on Facebook. I'm sorry. And asked Lisa to come back and uh, do a little Q and a with me. But Lisa, I did I did make an, I I made a little variation on the question. So I'm going to throw that at you and and we'll get some candid response from you. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, so when I thought about that, I thought, okay, if I'm going to post this on Facebook, I need to answer the question for myself. What do I want people to think of when they hear my name? And the first thing that hit me was, well, my ego generally wants one thing, but my, my true heart wants something different. And so I positioned it that way and split it into a two-part question. And I said, uh, how does your base ego generally want people to think of, of you? And how does your more mature altruistic, and I'll even say your righteous self want people to think of you? And I gave an answer as well. I actually posted on a video there because what hit me is my ego probably often hits first and that dictates my behavior a lot and, you know, influences how people think of me. And yet my heart of hearts 
probably wants, well, it does. It wants a more, you know, caring, authentic, uh, honest, righteous person to come out. And so I grappled with that a little bit and I posted it and here we are. And so that's where we're going to come at. So I'll ask you, as you have dealt with that question, uh, face forward, is that something that tends to come up? Yes, I think it's a great way to look at it, Kevin. And I think um, that, you know, we all have ideas, particularly um, those that have climbed a corporate ladder. You want to be seen as successful. You want to be seen as, you know, being intelligent and making right decisions and all of those things. And not that there's anything wrong with being intelligent, making right decisions and those sorts of things. But I think we can get a little wrapped around the axle with our idea of what success is. And when we sit down to really ponder it, perhaps the worldview of success is equated with money and title and those sorts of things. But I personally find fulfillment comes from a success by a whole different definition because it really goes back to being the best that I was wired to be. And that might mean helping others. It might mean sharing my vulnerabilities with others. It means a whole lot of different things. But I do think um, there is is that balance of ego and healthy self-confidence and what you want your brand to be. I think we talked about it a Mm -hmm. little on our first show. You know, I was told that I came across as intimidating and that was not at all what I wanted to do, but I think it was just part of my kind of trying to prove that I was capable. And I probably went way too far overboard to try to prove that, but that was just kind of, wow, I don't want, intimidating to be part of my brand, but I do want to remain capable. So it was figuring out kind of how to position those two. And I think that is true in in a lot of, of, of ways. Well, and so, you know, again, in answering this, and we hit on this in our initial show that there's one this, we can look at this aspect, uh, you know, for, for all people, but then you do write to, you know, women specifically, and they have different issues to deal with. So I'm going to, I'm going to read one of the first comments here and it'll lead us right to a question I have on that. So Alexandra Neal, she, she says, I don't necessarily see the two concepts as separate, but more as complimentary. I want people to see me as a leader, someone who is funny, compassionate, caring, who is empathetic to others and whose mission in life is to serve others and achieving their dreams and their goals. I feel the distinction comes more from whether or not I am congruent and how I show up. I love that last statement, uh, especially in response to how I position this regarding ego or not, but also from a woman's standpoint, as again, we hit on this show and we, and you hit in the book, you have some different things to deal with, especially in the workplaces, how you are perceived. And you, you mentioned a, mi- a minute ago, and it made me think of, you know, is there I mean, there is some reality to play in the game. If you want the progress, if you want the the influence, if you want the promotion, if you want, there's that feeling of, do you play the game or you just a hundred percent be congruent to who you are and let that pan out as it may. I struggle with that because I'm a, I'm a people pleaser and I, I want to progress and I'll modify here depending on who I'm at. We all know that the, the relevance of that, but I'll, I'll put that to you. You deal with this in your work constantly, but especially with women. Yes. Loaded lots of questions in there. Um, Yes, I think um, 
women could learn some lessons. And we do talk about this in the book, kind of under the category of networking. I think um, I will speak from personal experience being a wife and a mother and a career person. I often um, for a while probably put networking too low down on my totem pole. So to speak, I just put it at the bottom of the list in terms of priorities because something had to give. And I think that there are a lot of activities. There are a lot of arrangements, agreements, call it what you will, that happen in the pre-meeting, in the networking, in the socializing before and after. And I think that um, we as women need to do better at that. I think we also need to do a better job of supporting each other and helping each other to recognize that because I do think that that is part of it. And I think some of it, I believe you said, Kevin, like playing the game. I think that almost to me can be like, well, playing a game can have a negative connotation because it's like, what do you do when you play a game? Well, hopefully you play a game to win, or if you're devious, you play a game to manipulate somebody. Well, maybe it's the way we view it that we're making connections with people. And if we saw that as part of our responsibility or an, a way to be more effective, then we, if we viewed it through a different filter, then I think we could see it in a more positive light, which I think would be helpful for us. Okay. Let bring something up. I, I had an interview recently. The show is not even posted yet with Jessica Honiger, uh, who's the CEO of Noonday Collections. She has got a book called Imperfect Courage. And in that, she talked on this issue too. And she said she often found herself at you know daycare, preschool, school, whatever, uh, with her kids, feeling guilty for being CEO of a big company. And then she would be at work sometimes feeling guilty for being a mom of a bunch of kids and that balancing act. So again, back to Alexandra's post here in Facebook about being congruent. Again, I'm going to ask you to hit that. Well, I think Kevin, it is about getting comfortable and bringing your whole self wherever you are. And again, it, you know, clearly um, as the CEO of a company, I don't bring that, kind of operational and I am somewhat in charge of a team mentality when I used to go to school or when I'm doing some sort of charitable activity, but it is part of who I am. And I think getting comfortable with not feeling guilty over that is a key part of it. And likewise, when I'm at work, if I have an obligation, um, well, such as I've already told my team, I have an older son getting married in just a few weeks that I am not going to be reachable. And what's the plan that we have in place? Because I am going to focus on being mom that week and mother of the groom and soon to be daughter. And I don't feel guilty over it one bit. There's not a decision that's going to need to be made that week that isn't going to be able to wait or that one of my team can't make. But I think a lot of it is, is not feeling guilty over it and being okay. I didn't just say, well, I'm going to be out of the office for a couple of days. I was just candid. Um, but not with too much information. We talked about that before. I didn't go into all the details of the ceremony and all of those things that I have tended to do in the past. And it's something that I 
coach a lot of women on, you know, sometimes we just need to say, I have a wedding mm-hmm. or not. I have a wedding and here's where it's going to be. And here's how long it's going to last. And here's how many bridesmaids. But um, I think it is part of being authentic and fe- feeling comfortable with the choices you have, have made, you know, I did make a choice to have a career and I did make a choice that my family and my faith are still more important than my career, but it is ranked right up there as, as number three. And I don't feel the need to apologize for it, but I think it is an issue that I see and hear a lot from women that I, that I talk with and coach. I think you're going to have a lot of people right now feeling uh, some comfort and permission and being more authentic and standing strong. Well, let me read another one here. This, this is from another lady, Lisa Castone. She says, um, I want people to think of me as that kind, dependable, selfless, determined woman who is devoted to her family and friends that always makes us laugh. Working in such a stressful environment as she does in uh, emergency medicine, she says, I want to be a person others want to work with and trust. I've always been someone with poor self-esteem, so it's sometimes hard for me to be comfortable when people do speak of me highly, whether it's as a nurse or a new mom of twin boys. And I got to make a call out. She, she sent a picture of her new twin boys. And congratulations to you, Lisa. That is, uh, that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. Well, Kevin, I admire both of these people. I love what they um, have described as as their brand and who they want to be seen as. So hats off to both of them. Mm. I would say um, to Lisa, you know what? Accept a compliment. As women, and I was just reading some articles. I have an upcoming talk on this topic. We just all too often say, oh, I am sorry, Kevin. It's thundering here, which is not as beautiful and sunny, but if it were kind of thundering and lightning and there were one rumblings in the background, I could hear myself until I trained myself not to. Well, I'm, I'm really sorry that it's thundering. Well, you know what? I don't control the thunder last time I checked. And mm-hmm. we as women will often, I'm really sorry, but I have one quick question. Or we use words like just like, well, I just have one little thing for your consideration or we, you know, tend to shy off of compliments, particularly those of us that want to be seen as caring and empathetic and understanding instead of accepting the compliment and saying thank you. Or, you know, a a tip that, that I often give young women is instead of saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I need to leave this meeting on time. It's running over or I'm sorry I have to do this. Just say, thanks for understanding. I have to leave now. Or, you know, thanks for letting me ask a question instead of I'm really sorry. I have just one thing to ask you. So I think it goes along with that confidence of, you know, just saying thank you. Someone has attempted to bless you with a compliment. So let them receive the blessing of them having you accept it. And I I don't think that's too self-confident. I don't think it's egotistical. I think it's helpful for people to, um, you know, we both like, if I paid you a compliment now, I would hope you would say thank you. Like, Mm -hmm. I think you're a great host. I would hope you'd say thank you instead of, oh, well, I, mm, I don't think so. Or, 
whatever. So I think we can see it in other people. Sometimes we just have to take a hard look in the mirror. Lisa, thank you. I accept that. (laughs) I I do. I do. I I hear you. And I, you know, and I know that you're talking with a bent towards women, but I think that's something for all of us. I mean, we're talking a a core self-image issue and this is, you know, Zig Ziglar 101 is, uh, we're going to struggle in pretty much everything we do without having a healthy level of, uh, self-image. Here's another one. Lisa, that hits to the aspect of leadership uh, that I think you'll appreciate. Colin, he says, my ego wants people to think how much of a good leader I am. The reality is that I hope people think of me as someone they can call for help, especially in making connections. Uh, But I just like the juxtaposition. I want to be looked at as a good leader, but I also want to be this, you know, let's say caring is what he is, what he's getting to that. It's interesting that I think we often see, and I'm sure you have seen this at a dramatic, a dramatic amount that those are somewhat at a juxtaposition. A leader needs to be X. Uh, How can a leader be caring, authentic, vulnerable even. And I know we're in a time period right now where that topic is coming up so much leadership. I get so many inquiries for books, uh, people who have books on leadership that I'm a little overwhelmed leadership. It's such a big topic. And then over here on, you know, in the business world over here on the personal development side, we hear vulnerability, uh, as such a big, you know, buzzword right now, Brene, Brene Brown, I think made that thing famous. And I think we often have folks. And again, I'll let you speak to, if it's even more of an issue or an extra issue for women have a hard time marrying those two. Yes. Well, I tell you what comes to mind, Kevin is seems to me that that's the definition of servant leadership. And um, you can be a strong leader and I think even a better leader when you are vulnerable, when you are transparent, and when your team can come to you and know that you're going to help them. I don't think that the, that leaders good, great leaders, let's switch to great leaders, are like have been called level five leaders. They are people that are servant leaders and they don't put themselves up on a pedestal. So I think that that what he has said, I would see it as just going to the definition of of really being a servant leader, which does, as you mentioned, I do think Brene Brown got vulnerability all over the map, which is good because so often, particularly with the rise of social media, the the pretty faces, the all put together, here's my happy family, everything is all in order. Um, the masks need to come off and be real. And at the end of the day, I think those leaders do a better job and they have a lot more loyalty. Um, among their followers. I, I agree. It, it speaks to me of the leadership by authority or leadership by you know earning it. Uh, we see that still play out. It's, it's surprising what people deal with in the workplace. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, here's another interesting look at this. Matt, I think his last name is Corich. He says he actually breaks it down further into community and workplace. Uh, So this is interesting. Let's go back to that. uh, What uh, I think it was Alexandria posted about being congruent 
with, well, I'll, I'll pose the preface. You know, when I, when you look at personality profiles, which I'm sure you've dealt with uh, most of your life, but you know, the disc profiles, I grew up on these things and I know back at some point, you know, you would get, and maybe they still do today. You would have, here's your person, here's your natural, I think, personality profile. And then here is your modified personality profile. And I was always interested in that because mine came out as fairly high D, uh, but I modified a lot and that is who I am. I know a lot of high D's who don't modify. They're just, I am what I am. And you know, you, we can debate that, but it's that again, being congruent, uh, the balancing act of that, the tension of that, I, I, again, you've lived this out, walked this out in the, in the workplace so often. So I'll give that as a premise of my own th- thinking. As I read what Matt says, he says in his community, he wants to be thought of ego wise, a successful, athletic, hardworking, driven, but his heart really wants to come across as caring, a good father, amiable, responsible. But at work, he changes it again. Uh, number one, he wants to be thought of as ego, leader, smart, engaging, persistent, organized, driven, value creator. Uh, but then his, his heart, he wants to be, come across as humble, appreciative, assisting, and caring. And he says, great exercise, Kevin. If this is how, uh, I w- this is how I want to be thought of at work. Or no, he says, if this is how I want to be thought of at home and work, I need to improve in certain areas. This is why I watch and listen to the show. Well, one, I will say for folks, it's a great exercise. If you haven't done it, do this exercise so you can think about this. But I'm going to come back to you, Lisa, on this aspect of at first when I heard it, it was just a simple question. How do you want people to you know think of you? And it's obviously brings up a lot of thoughts about, gosh, who do I really, who do I act? How do I behave in a way that I want people to think of me and how does my heart really want to? And am I being again, congruent? Yes. And I think it goes back even to the earlier word that you mentioned, which was balance. Mm -hmm. And it's with all of the hats that we wear, all of the roles that we juggle. I think um, ideally I usually suggest to people and what I've tried to do myself is come up with words that are Lisa all the way through her day, if that makes sense. So if I am Lisa who is coaching versus Lisa, who's running a company versus Lisa, who's sitting down to have a piece of chocolate with a friend, I'm the same core person, but I think much to your Uh, you know, analogy of strong D that was moderated. So you're still authentic to yourself, but you use discernment, you use discretion, you use common sense, you use your ability to understand and navigate the audience with whom you're dealing. I think that that's what comes out when you're trying to blend who you are at work and who you are with your friends and who you are socially and who you are with your neighbors. So if Mm -hmm. you find, you know, key words like integrity or innovative, um, passionate, those sorts of things I think can carry across all. And then at work, you know, maybe you want to be the go-to resource and seen as that leader, but chances are it works with just a little twist because you want your neighbor to feel that your neighbor can call on you for something, which is exhibiting leadership. It's just not in the business style of exhibiting it. So I think if you really dig deep and spend some time reflecting, the question can help you kind of get to the core of who you really want to be. And we talked about this a little um, the first time we spoke, you know, 
I think at least the way I have processed through this is kind of like getting a notebook out and coming up with a long list of what my brand is. Mm -hmm. Then it's taking that page to a paragraph. And then we talked about it and remember who you are taking it to kind of the Ernest Hemingway approach of our six word story. And then we've taken it to one word. So, you know, my one word is connect. Well, that branches me. I do want to connect with my team as a leader because that's how I'm going to lead effectively. But I want to connect with my neighbors because I want meaningful relationships. I want to, you know, connect with my family for love and nurturing of of my children. Um, so I think, I, well, does that make sense? I'll pause. I've talked for a while. Does that make sense? No, it completely does. And I'm sitting here thinking about it, that when you boil down to, in your sense, a single word connect, you are going to walk that out differently in different environments with different people, but it's still that stalwart goal that's going to get you to the right direction, but you're being wise in, uh, and, con- and conforming molding it somewhat around the people you're with out of respect, not of, not out of man- manipulation, which I think is what people are concerned about. That's exactly it. It's out of respect and it's out of what my responsibility might be in that situation, but I'm still staying true to myself. But, you know, I, as a CEO, there are certain decisions that need to be made and be settled and done and run with after we've discussed it. It's kind of time to to call the question and move on. Well, if I'm at a social event, I probably don't need to bring that level of in chargeness, for lack of a better word, to that social setting because it would be inappropriate. And it's not because I'm trying to manipulate those people, but it's because of the environment that I'm in. And I do think you bring up a very good point because I think um, we can be true to ourselves and it's still, you know, if you interviewed me on another topic, we talk on another topic, but I'm still me. And I think when we go into different situations that we stay true to those core values, but they display differently. You know, you're not going to, snow ski probably in a bathing suit you're gonna wear ski clothes and vice versa you're not going to go to the beach in the summer and snow ski gear but you can be authentic and enjoy both environments and still be yourself and I think sometimes we feel like we're putting on a mask because we're tweaking a little to go into the office but no we're doing what needs to be done for that position because again we each have different roles and there are different requirements to fulfill them. And I think when you start not having integrity or not displaying respect or not doing something or falling prey to office gossip or something that is not you, well, then that's something to feel guilty about. But otherwise, I think we it's, it's wise to use the gifts and the skills that we have in the most appropriate manner, mm-hmm. depending on the environment we're in. Okay. Well, a great segue into the next comment here that I was about to set up. Susie types and Susie Bradley, she says, uh, number one, ego. 
I want to be seen as a, an encourager, one who unites and gathers to empower others, a strong force to inspire fitness and wellness and driven living. And I have to make a call. I know Susie, she leads a fitness class, a Zumba class that my wife is at right now. So, uh, this is close to home, but she says, number two, you know, her, her heart wants to be thought of or seen as a Proverbs 31 woman who inspires and motivates desires to have my hubby to continue to look at me with admiration and adoration. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll get in a, in a sticky area here that you I'm sure have seen and experienced and walked out to where here you are in the workplace as a woman in a corporate environment or, or whatever, as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of folks listening and you are, you hold the reins. I mean, you are the leader, you are the driver, you are the authority, whatever. Then you come home to a husband and we've got some role issues going on. And I put this out there because I've walked this with my own wife. We've talked about it openly about how she will automatically, you know, change her role according to her expectation of, or, or, or perception of what my expectations are. And, and here we go. And this is uh, the merry go round and I'll let you, I'll let you speak again on this topic. Well, thanks for that loaded question, Kevin. Sure thing. <laughs> I'm here to make my guests uncomfortable or, or, uh, or put them on the spot. You know what? It is a question that is so common and it, is not necessarily well understood by a lot of people that um, might not understand the Proverbs 31 woman, yeah. but you nailed it. I mean, when I am at the office and I'm CEO, I'm in charge. Um, although I don't, I, it makes it sound like I don't manage with my team and my team is really in charge and I'm blessed to be there with them. But at the end of the sure. day, the buck stops on my desk. Sure. But when I walk in the door. My husband is the head of our household and I, um, it's fortunately he is extremely supportive of my career and we have discussions and make a lot of joint decisions and talk about things. But, um, you know, I will share with you when we, um, we adopted a child that had to have a lot of issues and I, had surgeries. He was deaf and mute and those things. So I made the decision. We made the decision. I was going to resign, retire early and stay at home to deal with the surgeries and the speech therapy and trying to help him learn how to hear and all of those things. And my husband came in a few weeks later and he's like, um, you might need a reminder. You're not the CEO here. And I'm like, Oops, you're absolutely right. I probably need to find an outlet for my energy because I am not the CEO here, but it was just, and he said it in love. So there is absolutely, you know, I'd say it if he were, were sitting here with me, he's not sitting here with me because he's at work, but, um, but I, it was that reminder because I do think that it can create tension in marriages. And I would tell you it has even in 
in my dealings and speaking and doing a lot more coaching since the book came out, Kevin, of women just saying the tensions of the two income families and the tension that creates what happens if the wife starts making more money than the husband. I mean, it goes into a whole lot of role issues and I think it requires um, a strong man who is secure in himself but um, it requires a woman who is willing and I believe I can do it and be true to myself because at the end of the day, I'm not the head of my household, but I do believe that I am equally as capable as, as a man in running a company. I believe that, you know, those two roles can exist simultaneously and I don't think that they're incongruous. I don't know if you think that answered your question. No, it does. I think you're incredibly uh, gracious in how you answer that. Again, it's a very, you know, I'll admit my wife and I are very similar personality styles. And I think that would be labeled as, uh, uh, well, in in the DISC personality, both fairly, fairly high D, fairly assertive. And so we've had to deal with this. And this is an issue, obviously, gosh, from a, from a business and, and entrepreneurial standpoint that we all deal with men and women. And I get used to my day consists of making decisions, making things happen, and I can come home and man, I'm, I'm there to fix everything. And we all know that doesn't work. And it took me a long time to realize that and put that hat off, but no, I just, I, this is the stuff that we don't talk about, as you know, and we all deal with daily. And in the world that we are now where, uh, women are working a lot more than they used to back when I was even a kid growing up, I didn't, I wasn't used to that. Now that happens. And we have a lot that are earning more and we see those. And it feels like we're all just kind of in this vanilla minutia of no, uh, clarity, real clarity. We, we just kind of, we, we bumble through it is what it feels like. And so you speaking on it is, um, I think it's much, much needed. Um, Well, thank you. I think it gets a little difficult, or at least again, in conversations I've had with women who are in what would be high powered, high titled positions, particularly somehow, I I think it can just get confused and they, mm-hmm. I've had people say, well, I don't understand why you see it that way. And I'm like, I, I mean, it, it is the biblical way to see it. I'm not in charge of my home. So I swallow that up. And if I drive in the driveway thinking I'm still in charge, I need to sit in the car a little longer. Well, and I'll speak from the guy's side. If we drive in thinking that we are only in charge, then go back and read some of those scriptures on submission and such and uh, read the rest of the story. Uh, we take that out of context and it is a uh, marriage wrecker. Um, Absolutely. It is. It's you got to each give a hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, here speaking on this, we've gotten onto the topic of faith. So I'm going to read one. Tim Dagley here. He says, uh, my childish side and need was always love and approval of others. And I allowed the world to dictate to me whether I was good enough. Sports gave me a measuring stick of good and great and not so good or loser. Then I grew up and God gifted me with a beautiful wife and a son and asked me, how will you raise your son and lead your family and honor me? I'm still working through the process, but here's my conclusion to your question. God is not care of your legacy. And this is an interesting question uh, statement. He says, God does not care of your, our legacy to others. He does care of your relationship to him, 
which his demand is to know him and love him intimately, and that Jesus is the only legacy we need to fix our hearts and minds on. If we love God and Jesus Christ as he commands us, the rest will take care of itself. Now, one, we're fully in a faith-based context here, uh, folks, so if that's not your thing, uh, well, listen in anyways. Maybe you'll learn something. But uh, this is an interesting one to me because it brings up that concept and Tim, I'm not picking on you, but I'm going to take the opportunity to pull out what sometimes I've experienced as people who I think I got it from my parents as a kid. They were so heavenly minded. They were no earthly, earthly good. And I agree with you in concept, but then we're also called to have wisdom and to know and to be taught and to figure out how to be, how to act, how to excel in, in the workplace and other places. I mean, this goes back to, you know, Ziegler and, and sales training and his statement of great salespeople are not born. They are trained. And I would say that uh, as great humans, uh, no matter what our intent, I've, I'll, I'll just say this and I'll, and I'll let you chime in here, Lisa, that I have often done something. I have, I have a history of doing things, especially in the workplace, leading with heart, leading with good intent and, uh, great idealism and yet poor wisdom from a business sense. And you know what? It doesn't pan out, which I think is why the Bible has very few miracles and a whole lot of seek wisdom, seek counsel. And so back to Tim's statement here, I'm with him in heart, but I don't know that I see that just my great love and care and intent and idealism makes the rest take care of itself. Your thoughts, Lisa? Wow. Lots of thoughts. Um, I think I try to, to start and I try to get better at doing it all the time, but everything that I do realizing I'm performing, for lack of a better word, I'm performing for an audience of one. And that is Jesus Christ. And, but that to me takes on a lot of different forms. If I am, you know, I'm called to raise my children. I mean, you look, train your child in the way he should go. And when he is old, you will not depart from it. We are called to train our children. You can look at, um, several places primarily or particularly in Proverbs, but about seeking wisdom. You can look at, you know, working, you know, you're told not to to observe ants. Well, ants are some very hardworking creatures mm-hmm. um, and they're strong. And I think that, that we, it, you know, it reminds me of, um, Zig used to talk about using our own gifts. He talked about it in the sense of not, you know, comparing ourselves to others, but he talked about us being wired, you know, for accomplishment and for greatness. I think we are called to use our skills and our talents to the best of our ability. And that is a way that we do bring glory to God because your skill and gift and talent, if it's not used, it's like, you know, the parable of being hidden under the bucket. So I think um, I think if we're performing for an audience of one in everything we do, then we are going to do it to the best of our God-given ability. Absolutely. Amen. And thank you for, uh, it was a great way to look at that. You know, I'm going to end us with two, uh, two, two comments that are put in here. You know, again, back to this question, this all came out of one question. I think it was in the, in the, your personal brown brain section of your book. And 
the question again, folks, what do you want people to think of when they hear your name? And I'm setting that out there as what I think is a profound exercise for us all to do. Now, the caveat though, then is once I write that out, then the next question for myself is ourselves is, and how are we walking it out? What are we doing to influence how we want people to think of us? So with that said, Dan uh, Moyle here, he says, I wanted, I wanted to be remembered as a great writer for the longest time. Now I want people to think of us, think of a servant's heart who showed others grace and love, hopefully turning people onto faith in God. Uh, Teresa then also says, I love the distinction, Kevin, between looking at, you know, ego and, and, and on our heart in essence. I like to think that as the older I get, the ego is taking the back seat more and more, but, uh, she says, yeah, it's still alive and well. So I'm going to put that to you, you, you guys, you and, uh, Paula authored the book. When you look at that question, what do you want people to think of when they hear your name? Is it relevant for all of us as a, if we're going to, if we're going to do this as an exercise to step back and go, okay, yeah. What do I, let me be honest with myself. What do I go about my day doing and hoping people will think of, and then who in my heart of heart times do I really want to be? Is that a relevant, you know, question to ask? And is that also, yeah, looking at, I mean, this ultimately drives our behavior, whether it's in the workplace or the home. I mean, this, you kind of hit, I mean, you could have made a book out of this, Lisa. I think that's what I'm get. This is your second book. Uh, okay. It's just so rich because this is what drives our behavior. It is. And I think it's what drives us crazy when we don't let it drive our behavior, mm-hmm. Kevin. I think it, it is the heart of be you. And if we, you know, mm. could have needed, would have needed to have shortened the title of the book, it would have just been be you. And I think if we can re- sit down and reflect long enough on what we want our brand to be, what we want to be known as, and we're honest in that reflection. And that might mean getting some 360 degree feedback, asking your boss, asking your kids, your kids. I always found my kids to be excruciatingly honest. Um, Ask your friends, but get some real feedback and look at what your brand is versus what you want it to be, because then you can start working toward that. And ultimately, it, it needs to be part of your core being, because otherwise, I think you're going to roam around and feel guilty and feel unfulfilled and feel, you know, like something is askew. Whereas I think if we really take that time um, to, to evaluate what fulfills us, it will lead us to our brand. Absolutely. And and you know what? I was going to end us there, but I got one more question because you said what your brand is and what you want it to be that, you know, from a business standpoint, I had somebody school me in that eons ago as I was talking about what our brand is. And, and, uh, they said, you know, you are working to make your brand what, you know, X, Y, Z, but it's the marketplace out there who tells you in truth, what your brand is, your effort is to influence it, but they are going to tell you, you can't state what your brand is. Your audience is going to state that. And so for you to say that in my brand, my family says what my brand is. My employees say what my brand is. I just now have the opportunity to influence it. And I think that's what you and Paula are ultimately bringing us to. And I'm just, I'm grateful for this and I'm hoping everybody takes us up on this and does this exercise. Um, 
Lisa, thank you. Thanks for bringing this to our attention. And, uh, again, I always feel like the best beneficiary. I love doing this and I'm going to continue ruminating on it because, uh, I am creating my brand every moment and I need to remember who I am and who I want to be. Thank you for being with us again. Third time. Well, thank you, Kevin. Enjoyed it. Well, there you go, friends. Again, I really, really encourage you to do this quick exercise and answer the question for yourself. What do I want people to think of when they hear my name? And if you want to ask it as I did, separate out your ego and your heart. Well, hey, if you got value from the show, will you let people know, leave a review in iTunes and mention this specific show. Mention this question and exercise and what it meant to you. It really speaks to people and it lets us know that we're doing a good job as well. And I thank you in advance. I'll fill you in on our next show and our amazing guest after I share some great resources with you. Okay, friends, coming up in show 611, we go on a journey with a guy who went on an amazing journey. Ben Fetter was president of International Partnerships for the U- for the U.S. at Tencent Games and formerly was CEO of Take-Two Interactive. They were the publisher of the Smash video game hits Red Dead Redemption, Grand Theft Auto, and NBA 2K. So he had the big American dream job, big job, top of the corporate ladder, lots of income, and he has a big family, four kids, but his work had overtaken his life and his family relationships were not doing well. So he quit, literally stepped down from the big job he'd worked towards all his life, uh, took his kids out of school, took his family, jumped out of the rat race, changed their lives. They moved to Bali and spent a year there transforming their heads, their hearts, and their lives. Uh, it's it's interesting though. There they came back. He now has another really big job. So you wonder, well, how did he change life? How is it different today in that big career role than it was back then? Uh, really interesting. Really intriguing. You're going to hear some similar messages that we hear from other uh, other guests on personal development, on brain plasticity. Uh, just intriguing. As of this recording right here, right now, I just did the interview with Ben totally enamored. Uh, he wrote a book called Take Off Your Shoes, Corporate Takeover, Spiritual Makeover. So uh, you're going to enjoy this uh, great interview. So till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.